Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger. I'm joined by my dear friend and co-host, Jim Carr. Hey, Hey, Jim. We're here in DC. Yes. And we're hitting the record button all day long. Bam, bam, bam. We're, We're here in DC because what? The president wanted us to come speak with him? No, that's that's you thinking. That oh, the my bad. Okay, no, we're here no, because... The president of AMT... There you go. ...in Tyson's Corner, Virginia, wanted us to come. And for those of you that don't know, AMT is actually a kind of silent parent company of IMTS. Absolutely. Their uh, president, Doug Woods, was unable to get to Chicago to our studios, so they politely said, well, why don't you guys just come on out to Washington? And we had a great dinner last night with some of their executive leaders, and we're ready to start talking. Yes. So, Jason, this interview that I did, I did it with Bob Bechtold a couple weeks ago, and he's an IMTS rock star. And, you know, I didn't know what to expect when I met Bob, and boy, he's been in manufacturing for decades, like me. Maybe he's probably been in it for a couple more than I have, but after my interviews, I always sit back and I say, man, I had a great takeaway. And I'm really curious to hear your takeaway of our interview, being that this gentleman has been in the industry for so many years and he's accomplished so much. And I want you to think about what your business is going to be like in about 30, 35 years. I mean, I know that's pretty tough. That's a long ways away. That's a long way away. And and you know what? So I've talked a lot on making chips about creating your vision for your company and like really how to construct that, the whole 10-year, five-year, three-year, one-year plan that I talked about in a previous episode. And, you know, just recently... I actually decided that I don't know if I want to project out to even 10 years because things change so drastically that I'm kind of thinking like three years is about the max because just of the rapid change. You have no idea. Uh, I do know. I I have a very good idea how rapidly things change. It's crazy. I know. So I I don't know where I'm going to be in 30 years. That's going to be very interesting. I, I assume that there's going to be a tremendous amount of automation. So one of the trends that I see coming on is that Every company out there needs to be as efficient as possible. So there is going to be very little room for scrap and waste and inefficiencies, both from a people standpoint, from a process standpoint, everything. You're just going to have to be really just spot on with everything you do. And I think associated with being spot on with everything you do and being really efficient is that you really need to hone into who you are as a company, the customers that you deal with, and really just get laser focused on who you want to serve because you're not going to be able to serve everybody in the same efficient manner. Somebody else who is focused on that type of customer, that type of process, whatever it is, is going to probably beat you. And I don't know what that looks like. It's robotics, new machine tool technology. There's going to be a lot of things there that's going to help with that. Yeah, I know with us, like one of the things that we're looking into right now is we might move forward with a new ERP system simply because that'll help us to really drive the full circle of the experience with our customer in a way that we won't have to like integrate databases and, and stuff like that. So we want customers to have a very seamless experience with us and be more efficient in everything that we right. do. And it's funny you should mention that too, because you know we just implemented a new ERP system, a car machine and tool called ProShop. And it was really Ryan's 
impetus that well, yeah, was Ryan pushing me. Doing that. He yeah. was the one that said, Dad, we if we're going to bring this company to the next level, we really need to have a robust system that's going to run our entire company from the estimate process all the way out through the billing cycle. Yep, absolutely. And I've been in the training already with him. You know, we do three times a week, an hour and a half with their inside people. And it's extremely powerful. And I cannot wait to see how transformative it is for car machine and tools. So TBD. You know yeah, what that means? There you go. There's an acronym. To be determined. To be determined. Yep. I'm sure it's I, all going to be positive, but yeah. as an upper middle-aged manufacturing executive, I've got to work hard at getting it done. He's flying right through it, but... I can see that. But that doesn't... Yeah. I don't know. Does that answer the question of where you're going to be in 30 years? Because I don't even know if I'm going to be in this industry in 30 years. Who knows? <laughs> That's know? true. All we can do is hope. And right. all we can do is plan. But yep. you're right. I don't think people should go out 30. But again, getting back to my interview with Bob, I just... It makes you think, though, when you have somebody you that's think. been in the industry for 50 years, to think to yourself, well, where, what did he think? Because the place that you would be asking that if I was his agent still in the industry, I'm just completing my second decade in this industry. And he's probably just about at his fifth decade. I would up. probably say, yeah, I didn't ask him at his age, but just based on what he's told me about his life history. So yeah, before we get to the interview, do you yeah, have any manufacturing yeah, yeah, yeah. news? I found a really great one this morning and I just shared it with Jason and it's by Popular Mechanics and it's called The Future of Manufacturing. And I, The Future you know, of American Manufacturing. Bingo. That's exactly what it says. And it's all about Made in USA and it says it's been in decline for decades, but of course, as we all know, there has been... This incipient comeback. What does that word mean? Incipient. I don't even know. You got me there. And, yeah. and I would actually argue, like, they always talk about the decline of manufacturing. I know. I'm I so know, tired I, of I, it. I don't know if it declined as much as we've just automated so much that we don't need the same people that we needed decades ago because the output is still very strong. Absolutely. So, of course, it's all about metrics, and it goes on to say the value of goods made here has increased substantially. We still make $5.4 trillion worth of stuff here annually, and 12.4 million Americans still work in the manufacturing sector. 12.4 million is not a lot to sneeze at. Yeah, I agree. The city of Chicago is 4 million people. So. Right. 12.4 is a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. So what they did is they went to 26 different companies and interviewed them or surveyed them. And they mostly did large ones. And they said they did a few small ones because they felt that their perspective was important. But their answers to the 11 big questions tell us a lot about what lies ahead. Number one, what is the biggest advantage to manufacturing in the United States? What do you think it is before I read the answer? I think it's the culture of America. And let me explain that. Yeah, I, I think do. that we because that's not the answer that they're okay, saying. So I think that we inherently have a culture here in America, and I think that culture is work hard. That culture is grit. That culture is we will accomplish this. We will take things to the next level. We will innovate, and we will beat our competition. And I think that that culture is really inherent in most of the people here in the United States. And I think that that's a huge advantage. Do you think our foreign counterparts look at us like that? I think our foreign that counterparts look at us like we're nuts, like we work too hard. And I think to a certain degree, they're right. Well, the consensus of the survey for that question is being close to customers lets companies get products out quickly 
without blowing their margins. Well, that was my second answer was the locality. And I've talked about this before on Making Chips that we're moving to more of a near sourcing manufacturing environment where you manufacture in China for the Asian market or you manufacture in Vietnam for the Asian market or you manufacture in Canada for the North American market and you know, and so on and so forth. Okay. Number two, you're going to get this one for sure. What is the biggest challenge to manufacturing in the US? Same answer to the first one, people. Not enough. Yeah, of the them. skills Training. gap. Skills Young gap. workers lack of proficiency in traditional skills is a problem. No kidding. I had an epiphany about one of the other secondary biggest problems to that, which is kind of related, which I think I'm going to release a video about it in the near future. Oh, is that right? Yeah, I'm not going to say what it is. It's re- it's related to the skills to gap. To the challenge. Yep. Okay. Number three, and I'm not going to get through all 11 because we don't have that much time, but I figure the first three would be the best. What parts of the job do people like most or dislike most? I want to answer the second one first. So I think people dislike the old school manufacturing, thinking that they're going to be getting dirty, the not having to use their brain, just pulling a lever or punching a button. And I think that what they like the most is using their brains and being innovative and working for a great company that wants to use them and use their creativity. That wasn't exactly, it was a very short answer, but I yes, it just says the consensus. Manufacturing still means shift work, which means repetitive, tiring, and tedious. That was pretty much what I said. Eh, you know, I don't see that culture in my shop. Although we don't do production work, right. but I don't believe that. But that's the perception for sure about what manufacturing is. Let's do one more. This is a pretty good article. This is interesting. Yeah. Number four, what percentage of the jobs on the floor require trade, school, or professional certification? You've really got me there. I would say that 100% of the people should be in training in a trade should school in be. order to get to that level because anybody that steps foot on the floor to work should be looking to how can I make myself better because every manufacturer out there needs more trained people. Well, I did not look at the answer, but my immediate thought would be you don't have to have trade school or professional certification. I'm to thinking work in like NIMS accreditation and stuff like that. Those are all things that you work into. Oh, of course. And you don't necessarily, yeah. you might have you start somebody. You it. You could. Yeah. You might have somebody in your shop that is just a natural talent in the industry that is just organically. They're mechanically inclined. You know, they worked on their cars, yes. you know, with their dad and their, or their mom, whoever. They know? have that and innate ability to just get things done. But I'll read because it's it's a little long. For the most part, if you're coming in as an operator, we're looking for people to have a high school education. Of course. We're not looking for post-secondary education for most of these jobs. What did I say? Of course. We can train in our distribution centers or factories or in laboratory settings. That held true for most companies at 37%. Briggs & Stratton cited the highest figure for the part of its manufacturing positions requiring advanced training or formal education. Instead, most employers ready workers with on-the-job training. That goes to a conversation I just had yesterday with our Making Chips friend, Barry Walter, who I'm going to be interviewing for Making Chips on his hiring process. And one of the things that I talked to him about very briefly is what do you do when you do hire somebody that's 
green to manufacturing because that's pretty much what he does. And he trains them all on the shop floor immediately without any kind of certification. Right. And it's good because if they're green, they're not tainted to other ways and they're going to learn your culture and how things get done. Absolutely. It's a great thing. We don't have time to go on and on, but check this out. You can Google it. It's called The Future of American Manufacturing. It's by Popular Mechanics. And there's really some really good information here to check out. Shall we go to our interview? Yeah, absolutely. Hello, Metalworking Nation. Jim here from Making Chips. I'm so glad that you could tune in and hear this fantastic interview with this gentleman that I just met, Bob Bechtold, the president of Harbeck in Ontario, New York. Bob has been the president for 41 years, and he was introduced to us through IMTS 2018. He is one of their rock star people that they're featuring in their future marketing campaign for the show in September. So Bob, welcome to Making Chips. Thank you, Jim. You're welcome. Let me just tell our listeners a little bit about you. Like I said, Bob is the current president at Harbeck in Ontario, New York. It's near Rochester, right there on Lake Ontario. He has been the acting president for 41 years. Bob was a tool maker back in the day for about four years and then was drafted. And then after he served, he came back and was employed as a journeyman toolmaker and then uh, went to work for some other companies that I'm going to let him tell you about. But he's got a fantastic story to tell. And certainly, I think you'll be inspired by his knowledge of the industry. So, Bob, let's start out. Let's go back to the late 70s. You were working as a toolmaker at a company, and then boom, you got the draft. They said, I'm sorry. Well, we all knew it was coming. Yes. There was, so it wasn't a surprise. Okay. My number in the lottery draw was 13. So there was no. <laughs> it doesn't get any prettier than that, right? Around it, right. Yeah. So what year was that, Bob? See, seventy one. I went in the service, and seventy four. It came out after serving for three years as a crew chief on helicopters. I actually spent a year and a half in Korea, and about another year and a half in Tennessee. Then came home as a journeyman toolmaker, and because I was a journeyman, I had no trouble finding a job, especially in Rochester, New York. Sure, and worked for almost a year at one of the car companies in Rochester, a GM company, and then answered an ad for a lab technician at the Rochester Institute of Technology and was lucky enough to get the job and became their lab technician with the intentions myself of using the educational benefits there because I had never gone to college. So after one year of working as the lab technician, I was given an opportunity, a job opened up for an instructor in the uh, National Technical Institute for the Deaf, where for the next six years I taught everything from shop math to precision measurement to welding and a brand new subject at the time, which was NC. I remember and, those days. And during that period of time started to become CNC. So we're talking probably in the late 70s, early 80s, when NC technology was really starting to build and prosper. Yes. And then I would say the early 80s to mid 80s is when full CNC technology really started to overtake the NC. 
I agree. The NC dropped quickly. It did. With Once the CNC proved out that you could program at the machine, it didn't take long at all. I mean, I started out in cards day. It's kind of like how CAD and CAM technology is evolving. Yes. Because when I was out standing at a CNC machine, I was typing as fast as I could, entering those GNM codes, <laughs> yes. right? GO, yeah. G40, G80, G90, yeah. T1, M6, yeah. S2000, and all those things. Now, I see my son, he opens up Mastercam, he imports that solid model, Correct. and he clicks on a couple services, and boom, within yep. a couple seconds, he's got Cutter an pad. NC program. Cutter so pad. I yep. get it. It's all about innovation and evolving the industry forward. So you worked as an instructor for CNC for six years, and then what happened? Well, I was saw this transition to CNC as perhaps the greatest thing that ever happened to the toolmaker. And at the same time, the buzz in the industry was that we should be afraid of this and that CNC was going to put the toolmakers out of business. And that, to me, was the farthest from the truth. And I would actually had lectures where I would predict the toolmaker of the future to my students, in which the toolmaker brought in his toolbox and his computer. And he set them down on the table and they wow. were, it was an integral wow. part of his tool set. Today, that toolmaker exists in our company. The only difference is he doesn't have to bring in his own computer. We give him one. Fantastic. So you're teaching for six years. You're teaching students all this awesome technology. And then you had an aha moment to start Harbeck. Well, while people were in the business were cowering, I saw it as the greatest strength and potential for precision, productivity for all these things that a toolmaker was about right. that amplified him and made him more powerful than he could ever imagine being. And so I had already started the business part-time okay. while I was teaching. And that was in but, 1977, you said? Right. Okay. And then in the early 80s, around 80 or 81, I left teaching to go full-time into business. Was there a pivotal moment in your head that said, this is the right time? I mean- It was just desire- Okay. It wasn't well thought out at all. It was just I like, just let's jumped, go, let's do know, it. I just jumped in. You know, I had been putting together machines and a space and starting to get customers, and I couldn't wait any longer. I had to go. And I knew I would have to build up the company enough as a small startup so that I could get confidence from a bank to be able to borrow the money to actually get a CNC machine. Sure. So it wasn't going to be that I could just start out in CNC. So I was anxious to get the company moved along that much that I would be bankable. Tell us what your core competencies were when you started that business. We were a general purpose machine shop and we had pattern making capabilities. Okay. The unfortunate part of that is that the pattern making at that time was dying off because all of the machine tool building was going to Taiwan. Okay. And so rather than shoot the pattern makers, we became model makers, mm -hmm. which is a very similar skill set. Right. And in choosing that path to complement our general purpose machining and production machining, we accidentally set a whole nother direction for ourselves because that became the place where the abilities of the CAD, CAM, and CNC became the strongest mm -hmm. to be able to cut complex three-dimensional objects. Right. And that became our forte. And yeah. still today, that's our forte. So 
let's fast forward a couple years because I'm sure your business has evolved and it's gone through a couple iterations. You reset your focus and your core competencies, I'm sure, a couple times back from the early 80s to now present date, right? Yes. So let's just kind of quickly move forward into present date and tell us a little bit about what you're doing and what's really relevant in your industry right now. Okay. We are today still focused on the complex part. And then we complement that with very advanced CNC capabilities up to five axis of potentials for either making the precision inserts for injection molding or for making precision manufactured parts for our customers in low volumes for the engineering prototypes, all the way up to very high volumes for medical precision implants and all kinds of things like that. Very interesting. So with that, that's a good segue. What are the industries that you service mostly? Historically, it was because we're Rochester, New York. Mm -hmm. It was cameras, cars, and copiers. Good. I like that. But today, all those are Cameras, cars, and copiers. But today, it's... They've all died off. Sure. And so what we changed was we went from the millions uh, mentality to the thousands and tens of thousands of mentality. So size, you you told me earlier that you employ 150 people. Correct. How many square feet, Bob? We're 50,000 square feet now and just beginning to add on another 10,000 square feet. And your role in the day-to-day operations? Today, it's mostly trying to set up the future. Okay. And what does that look like for you? Do you have family in the business? Is there a succession plan in place? Would you care to elaborate on that at all? I have family, but none of them are interested in the business. Sure. So that's meant I have to go find an alternative. I've investigated all kinds of different possibilities for that. And I'm actually working with a consultant right now to help me prepare the company for that next step. Is it scary? Very unnerving. Very, very unnerving. I can imagine. Because for all these years, all you did is go one direction, which was build and nurture and care every moment of your life for it. Now, all of a sudden, you're supposed to let it go, which is very hard to do. And I don't know exactly the best way to do it. So that's what I mean by- At least you're working on it. Trying to figure it out. What about a key employee? Is there any- I tried that path. Okay. And I brought in uh, the three key employees of the company. Sure. But after almost two years, they decided that they did not like the helm. Well, it's- it's (laughs) so- Being being an owner of a manufacturing company is definitely challenging. And so I let them- back out, and they're still excellent key employees of the company today. Well, I wish you the best of luck. I'm quite confident you'll be successful, and please let me know. See, I don't want to leave it. Yes, I know. I know. It's tough. Well, it's your life. I only want one thing. What is it? What is it? I don't want to be responsible anymore. I want to go back to the barn where it all started, which is only a couple miles away from where the shop is, and keep inventing the future. But I don't want to be responsible. I have been feeling responsible for at one time we were up to 180 people. Right. That's your livelihood, your livelihood is. No, their livelihood. Their, I'm sorry. Their li- is what I'm worried yeah. about. Right? Well, their livelihood is I what want somebody you, yeah. else to worry about that. Right. Because you care about your employees. Exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about manufacturing because, like I said, you know, you're an IMTS 2018 rock star. They obviously identified you as somebody that's relevant in our industry. How is manufacturing right now for you? Oh, I think there's a lot of talk about manufacturing renaissances and, and a lot of money being spent on fancy university kinds of things, but that's 
their business. As far as business goes, it's very strong for us right now. I'm not a good economics person. I'm not even- Yeah, but a- you certainly have a good pulse on how things are going, right? I hope so. Yeah. It's well, a- I mean, 41 years being the leader of a manufacturing company, you can look at your profit and loss statements, right? And yes. you can see that you're making money or you're not you know, too stretched out. or, yes. And you can tell by talking to your peers what they're saying. But Bob, I just have a couple more questions. Can you leave us with- three bullet points of the most important lessons you've learned in your career. So somebody out there that's listening to us in this great country that we live in, that's in manufacturing, can hear what you say and help them and equip them from making a mistake or just making an impactful decision for the future. I can. The uh, first one would be, that people or your employees are everything. You are nothing without the employees. Your company will go nowhere, and you have to do everything you possibly can to convey to them that you feel that way, that you value them that way. And the most significant thing I've done in all 41 years of starting and owning that company was in the last few years, I've started taking all of my employees to lunch three at a time. Oh, so very nice. That's different. Week, That's we, different. And it's the best, most dynamic thing because I'm not good at just going out and shooting the breeze with the people on the floor. So but, you're taking people off the shop floor three at a time. Are you diversified in those? Th- I like, nope, are you taking a HR leader? Manager, we started with the oldest, most longevity and work our way down to zero and then start all over again. That mix of three. Is it a diverse anybody. mix? Anybody. Okay, it's a diverse mix of three. It's You're not taking three CNC workers. Nope. You're taking uh, maybe- An injection molding machine operator there you and go. a tool maker and an office person. Could because be. all three of those people are going to bring a completely different Absolutely perspective right. to that lunch table. Yep. That's exactly right. So that was one, your then, people, your uh, employees. Second one is technology. Mm-hmm. You have to embrace it. I'm always amazed at how much effort, especially like in- where we are in New York now, a ton of effort is being put into, as an example, convincing people to get involved in additive manufacturing. And we've been involved in it for 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me that if you think you're going to be a contemporary manufacturer, you haven't figured it out yet that additive is the future. It's here. It's been here. And it, and it's only getting better. Oh, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. It's like, remember when I said the CNC was an unbelievable capability of the toolmaker of the future? Right. That's exactly where additive is today. And additive is the toolmaker of the future. And we are right now at Harbeck creating the toolmakers of the future that are just as smart additively as they are subtractively and can work in both environments completely flexible. And wow. that's our dream. We haven't perfected it yet, but that's the direction that we're set out and going in. Sure. And the last one, the number, last one number is three. to do it with social responsibility. By that, I mean we have been, since the 90s, practicing what we preach about sustainable manufacturing. Since before sustainable manufacturing had a name, back in the days when thing, people talked about being green and things and like a, that. In a simplified, truncated version, tell us what that means to Harbeck. As a sustainable manufacturer, we have no carbon footprint okay. and no water footprint. Wow. By that, we mean inside of our gate and our property, any carbon fuels that are consumed 
we take responsibility for. So we reduce them as much as we possibly can. And then wherever we can't, at the end, we pay for carbon credits. So when you buy a part from Harbeck, it has no carbon footprint, except for what happened before us. But from accomplishing that in 2013, we learned what it's involved in the metrics and how to think about it and do it in planet. Then from there to 2015, we focused on water, and now we also have no water footprint. Congratulations. That's really... You. Did your customers drive that no. social responsiveness? We're still looking for even the customers who make the big noise and have the glossy corporate reports about sustainability and all that. We are still trying to find one that would make a purchasing decision Based on the fact that we're a carbon neutral yeah. manufacturer. Yeah. So, so it was personal. It was, it was personal, but the important part and why I mention it as the third thing is if you take that path, it will give you an economic positive impact on your bottom line, which is the news of the day. Yeah. Because sure. everybody assumes that it's going to cost you more and it doesn't. It actually saves you money and it gives you a level of versatility and reliability. When the power goes out with the combination of our two on-site wind turbines and our micro-turbine combined heat and power plant, we read about it in the paper as we're working, but we don't go down. We are insulated from outages and ice storms and anything else that happens like that. We can completely run our company through any of those kinds of situations. Bob, it's been an absolute pleasure for you to come and stop by the studio today and share your life story with us in manufacturing. I look forward to sharing this episode with the Metalworking Nation. Jason, IMTS coming up just in a few months. I mean, yeah. literally, but by the time this is aired, it's going to be like weeks away. Yes. Tell me a little bit about what is going to be happening in the infamous West Building of McCormick Place. Well, the West Building is where I spend most of my time. Why is that? Well, that's where all the tooling and work oh, is. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that's where, you know, that's my thing. And so that's where I'm going to be that's walking around. That's my baby. Yeah. Who's going to be there? Do you know? Everybody. Everybody? From A to Z. From A to Z. From A to Zenger. All right. I get it. Additive manufacturing, another big thing. Yeah. Actually, it's not new technology anymore. It's kind of old. But, you know, we just talked to Peter Eelman today on the phone, and he was telling us that there's a new thing called new additive manufacturing. It's mainstreaming now. It is. It's going to be well represented in the West building and in that particular So go to IMTS.com to register and find out. When's the early bird pricing? Until August 10th. All right. So Jim, I have one word that kind of summarizes my reaction to that interview. Yeah, what do you you think? That one word is unnerving which is one of the words that Bob used. I mean, I'm nervous for him. He doesn't have a succession plan, and he's tried to put people into the chief role, and they didn't want to be there. That's scary. That's unnerving, I know. It's, that's that's not a good position to be in, and no. that's why you need to talk about these things ahead of time, 10 years in advance, 15 right. years in advance. The time that you should be talking about your succession planning is right now. Right now. Well, you know, Jason, people do not like to be vulnerable. That is very Nobody true. likes to be vulnerable. Nobody yeah, wants to open Manufacturers especially. Manufacturers especially. And now he's at the point where it's like too late and he's going on making chips talking about the fact that he has no succession planning, talking about being vulnerable. 
he's just announced to the world that he's got to figure this out and he will. Consultant. I'm he will. He will. I know he will. And you know, maybe somebody from the metalworking nation will come in and say, you know, I want to buy Bob's company, but he'll figure it out. And I'm confident in that as well. But it's just scary. Yeah. But it was a good interview. He really brought a lot of wisdom to the show. I love that he talked to me about his earlier days doing NC and CNC machining. Oh, yeah, that was funny. So anyway. The other nice thing about Bob's story is he talked about going out to lunch with three people at a time. I think that's great. Well, the reason he's still in business after all these years is he's got a great culture. There, there's, right. there's obviously something going he on. Cares. There. He cares. He cares about his employees. And I hope that he finds somebody to buy the company that cares like He's him. a smart man. You know, we can't be everything all the time. Yeah. It's hard to be excellent in every single aspect of running a business. That's why making ships is here to try and give people a different perspective of what other people are doing. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, because all of us are smarter than one of us. Exactly, you bet. So I would say for you manufacturing leaders out there, do you have your succession plan? Have you figured it out? And if you haven't, press pause. Actually, you don't have to press pause. You can just listen to the end of this episode because it's almost over and figure it out. At least start drawing an outline of where you want to be and then figure out, who that other person is that's going to take over in the future. Do it now. Bam. Metalworking Nation, listen up. Manufacturing is challenging. You need to think differently. The day-to-day whirlwind of urgencies, the pressure to grow, customer demands, workforce development, new machine tools and robots, the list goes on and on. It is possible to stay ahead of the game of manufacturing, but you can't do it alone. We're here to give you access to exclusive content from other leaders, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you on making chips. Yeah, it's like the laser disc. Like the yeah. laser disc. I remember my parents had laser discs. So did I. I don't remember what movies we had exactly. I think oh, Titanic. Oh, I had Titanic, Titanic okay. on laser disc for yeah. sure. Yeah.